Hello and welcome to the Women in ERP podcast. I'm Abigail Allman. I'm your host and I'm joined today by my co-host, Stephanie Paul. Steph is the sales manager for IFS. Hi, Steph. Hey, hey, Abby. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've got a bit of a cold today. Um, coming. <laughs> <laughs> We're also joined today by Emily Hunter. Um, Emily is a senior recruitment consultant. Hi, Emily. Hi. So today we're going to sort of dispel some of the myths around uh, recruitment consultancy and sort of how you operate in the tech sector. But first of all, it'd be really great to understand your background and and what led you to the world of ERP. Yeah. Okay. So um, I kind of fell into um, ERP recruitment, to be honest. Um, I've never really been into tech or anything like that. Um, I did IT at school, but it never really interested me much. so I'd actually did law at university. Um, so after I'd graduated, kind of toyed with the idea of um, going into that, but realised it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I ended up going travelling for two years, um, lived in Australia for a year and a half, did loads of random bits of different work out there, um, worked on a banana farm three months, which was very interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, then I came home um, and it was a recommendation from a friend actually to kind of go into recruitment and yeah in in terms of falling into ERP recruitment it was it was one of those things that um I'd never really planned but yeah I've been here for two and a half years now still here so seems to be going all right good good so you're fairly new to the ERP world it took me years to get my head around ERP systems and technology um and the marketplace itself how have you found your educational journey um, difficult to be honest. I found that there's not really any set places that you can go to to learn about ERPs or IFS, obviously in particular for me. So obviously the reason and the, the way that I managed to learn everything was just by speaking to candidates, to be honest, speaking to my colleagues, learning information from them, but all really just learning from other people as opposed to having, you know, like a platform to go to that I could research things. Um, obviously, the IFS website is good um, and it's got a lot of information about the different modules and things. But in terms of how ERPs work, it did take me quite a while to get my head around it. And I think I've, I've been doing the job for a while and I was like, I still have no idea what an ERP system does or what it is. I have no idea. And then one day it just clicked. I was going to say, if it's any consolation, I'm the same. Um, but yeah, in terms of kind of going somewhere where I could just read something or get involved with something that would, you know, kind of make it click instantly, there wasn't anything like that. It took a long time for me to get up to scratch with learning information and learning, you know, I just learned IFS. So I'm not massively familiar with other ERP systems and how they operate. Um, so obviously, I know they're all very similar. But so if I wanted to have a look into a different ERP system, I, I don't really know where I would go, to be honest, to have a look yeah. into it. It's, it's a good point, actually. Yeah, it, yeah. Kind of industry-wise, it's kind of lacking, isn't it? it yeah, is. definitely. Specifically, product yeah. specific. Yeah, there's a lot of stigma around recruitment and recruiters. Why do you think this is? Um, it's difficult to say. I mean, there shouldn't be a stigma around recruiters. Um, I think the reason that there is is when recruitment's not done properly. That's when the stigma is attached. So recruitment done properly and recruitment done how it's meant to be is very effective. Um, you know, it's it's a huge industry in the UK. Um, and when it's done right, you provide proper solutions to clients and candidates and, you know, you're helping people out. And that that's what it's there for. You know, you're providing proper, effective solutions. And when it's done properly, there shouldn't be a stigma around it. So I think there are agencies out there that 
potentially will work roles that they don't specialize in and that you know tends to give recruiters in general a bad name when people are sending cvs over unsolicited and they've not got clients or candidates um approval to do that then i think that's where the stigma comes from that you know recruiters will just send any old cv to get a fee out of someone when they don't care when really when it's done properly and when you actually specialize in an area and you actually you know you're working specifically with a client and you want to help a candidate out to get them their next role that's when recruitment's effective and you know that there shouldn't be a stigma around that because you know we we can place candidates into roles and help them find their their dream job when they might not have known about a role for example yeah. um a lot of people don't sit scrolling through job boards or anything like that so I don't know if, if Steph finds this but I find myself absolutely hounded on LinkedIn by recruiters yeah and also in the past when I've gone for jobs via recruiters they've just never they've just never got back to me mm. like that I think that all gives them a bad name I mean is that yeah do you operate differently to that yeah definitely I mean we don't we definitely don't hound people um I can appreciate you know we, we do send messages but again that's that is what we've got to do to try and get new clients on board and things like that but um you know in terms of not responding to people um you know I always give feedback to my clients and you know obviously to my candidates so if they've not been successful or anything like that but yeah again that's the kind of thing isn't it that gets recruiters bad names that they just don't care um that's you know do you think that's changed in the last I guess 12 18 months where there's obviously a massive demand and like you kind of talking from an IFS point of view it's kind of you, there's just not enough people out there there's, there's, no, there's a lot of demand are you yeah. have you found that actually attitudes have changed quite a lot in terms of like it, I guess in response to kind of the, the supply and demand so let's be honest they need you more now than ever to try and help yeah. find candidates have you seen like a shift in attitudes I guess yeah definitely um I mean kind of pre-covid it was very very different to how things are now um again you know we're, we're in a position where we can charge maybe higher percentages for candidate skill sets that are being put elsewhere because there is that massive demand and clients understand that you know they know if they take five weeks six weeks to interview someone they're going to lose them it's happened time and time again they'll keep seeing it happening so they are going to have to move quickly and they know that the candidates aren't going to be there um and yeah I think people do try a lot of companies do try to work the roles themselves and um you know it kind of goes back to the candidates aren't sitting there all searching for jobs on job boards every day they are working solely just you know in their day-to-day jobs and then they'll work with someone like us for example who will send them to a different company and yeah that's obviously why clients will kind of realize that they're not going to get people just by putting a job ad out so yeah yeah I think definitely working with specialists it, it it has changed definitely over the last two years yeah, yeah. Interesting. And how are you finding the ratio between candidates at the moment between male and female candidates in this sector specifically? Very heavily male. Um, So I run some numbers on this the other day. And in terms of the placements I've made over the last two and a half years, only 20% of them have been women. Um, Yeah. And I've worked a handful and placed a handful of senior roles so director of applications head of IT ERP manager roles not one of them was a woman um, and not one of them who had applied was a woman either so there was no women in the process and obviously then no women getting the jobs so very heavily male focused. yeah and that's the key bit is that there's no candidates is there applying 
because I, I yeah. know we have it just you know just talking like pre-sales for instance like they're really struggling to attract female talent into pre- yeah. and it's just you know it's it's sad but it's a sign of I guess it goes back to schools as well doesn't it in terms of is it your, perhaps the awareness of like how can we make more women aware of these roles that exist you know is it maybe we're targeting it incorrectly where are the where are the women you know yeah. really hanging out <laughs> yeah I think getting women and girls into it at a younger age and actually getting them to understand that there is a career out there that specializes in this kind of area because I think people just see you know ERPs and technology as sitting behind a computer all day and just coding and you know sitting in a dark room and it's it's always been quite male focused but I think getting women to actually understand it and get involved with it earlier at schools and even in the career um you know in the current role get involved with a little bit more technology and do some projects and then they can kind of understand that yes there is a different path towards what they've been doing with finance or supply chain they might have always worked an operational role but I think it's just that encouragement you know from from a younger age and obviously within businesses as well I mean do you actively sort of take it on as a, as a mission to go and find women or do you find it's not worth your time um, I wouldn't say it's not worth my time. I mean, obviously, I have to search for the skill sets as they're there. And I do tend to find that there aren't as many women on the market in general um, when I'm looking for a certain skill set. So, you know, I would love to place, you know, hundreds of women every day, but it's just difficult when they're not there. Um, and obviously, I, I don't want to not place someone just because they're a male or anything like that. So it, it's difficult, really. Um, if there was an abundance of women that, you know, were really highly skilled and all searching for jobs that I could place them, I'd be on it straight away. But mm. they're just not. They're not there. No. You can only work with what you've got, right? <laughs> so. exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you definitely find that in the more senior positions I've found that, you know, obviously there are a, a, a good number of women in those senior positions, but the number of them that are actually wanting to look for something else is really, really small. Um, it tends to be the men that are moving around a lot more I don't know why that is. I suppose as a woman, when you when you find a good position and, and a company that will look after you and support you as a woman in that role, mm. you kind of want to stay there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't know whether women feel like they might owe the company something if they've been there for a long time, but you do you do just find that they don't move around as much. Um, yeah I literally had this conversation with someone yesterday exactly that it's like you almost feel like a bit of an obligation that yeah. you know they've invested a lot so therefore you should be giving back it's more of a an emotional side whereas I guess um, men are like no sod this I'm off like yeah, yeah. it is interesting and it's the yeah. same with pay, pay rises right in terms of we tend to be more reserved about asking and men just don't and it's yeah, yeah. It's just characteristics, I guess, more than anything. Yeah, it's a difficult one. So as a senior recruitment consultant, what's your role entail? So essentially, kind of in layman's terms, I place IFS specialists into IFS positions with IFS customers. So a lot of my role is speaking to candidates daily, sourcing new candidates. We'd give a thorough pre-screen. Um, so obviously everyone that we send over to clients, we've kind of already assessed all their skill sets. We know they're going to be a right fit for the role. And then on the flip side of that, it's working with the clients to assess their business needs. So assessing where they're up to, where their projects, what gaps they've got. And then essentially it's just bringing the two together really. And, and do you dominantly work in permanent recruitment or c- contracting recruitment? Yeah, I just focus on permanent. 
So um, we do have three other guys in the team, all male, I'd say, um, that do Wanda's perm and the other two do contract. But on the on the IFS team, it's just myself that does perm, who is a woman. And so you sit evenly between client and candidate. Yeah. Is that quite hard to do? Um, I don't think so, because I would rather have my eyes on both sides so I know what's going on so I do 360 recruitment um, I know some recruiters are 180 so they'll only focus on a client or a candidate side whereas I like to know exactly what the candidate's thinking what the client's thinking and essentially I'm going to manage the process for them um, you know if, if I was only managing one side there's always some sort of miscommunication somewhere with somebody else that I don't know about maybe so yeah I would much rather be involved you know, throughout the process and definitely from a candidate side to understand what they're looking for. And obviously then, you know, I can match that with what the client's looking for, yeah. but also obviously to make sure the candidate's okay and it's, it's definitely what they're looking for. So, yeah. And in terms of getting more of those female CVs on your desk, like how do you think we can upskill women in ERP? Like how, how do we do that? How do we approach that? Is it awareness is it like you say creating that hub of information that people can access and learn from yeah I think it's a it's difficult one really I think going back to as I was saying earlier about starting it younger getting women involved in that kind of thing you know creating more of a knowledge base of this is a you know a very lucrative career that you can get into having the experience brought onto them as well in in businesses so I think it does kind of fall sometimes on employers to help people maybe get into that area um and again a good knowledge base that people can turn to to start looking into things um again maybe from a younger age or if they might be starting to work on projects they can look into it and think actually you know this is a whole a whole different area that I didn't know existed so but it, it is difficult because you know I think there's there's a lot of things that need to be done to kind of ramp it up yeah I, I agree. I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of, I think people just don't know about it. I find mm-hmm. that a lot, you know, when I talk to to customers and pr- we're probably talking to very similar people, it's kind of, they move into like a consulting type role when when they've been doing a project internally at a business that they were working in. It's like they, yeah. there was just no awareness. And, you know, yeah. what, I guess why would there be? Because like you say, it's not when you're at school, a career fair, they're going, oh, I'll be a consultant. It just doesn't come up. So maybe yeah. it's more focus needs to be on the grads and kind of, you know, this is what a career path could look like for you. Yeah, definitely. A bit like all of us, like you said right at the beginning, we just kind of fall into it. Yeah. I, I'm guilty of that as well. And it's like, but had you have known about it originally? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, food for thought, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And the amount of people I speak to as well that have been in an operational role, so like a finance role, they might have been an accountant and they've got involved with an IFS implementation and then you know, I speak to them and say, oh, I notice you've done this and this with IFS. Have you ever thought about going consulting or kind of moving into the system side of things instead of finance? And people go, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, you know, obviously I've worked with IFS consultants, but, is, you know, is that really something that I could do? So you're actually going into industry and you're approaching people that have never thought about That's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I've placed a few people, um, two of them women, actually, of the small amount I have placed, two of them um, finance consultants with IFS partners that had done projects um, within their business, got involved with the system side of things. And I'd spoke to them and said, look, you know, you've got really good experience. Have you thought about this? And, you know, they've said, actually, I did enjoy it. I didn't really think it was a thing, though. Like, you know, is it is it a whole career? 
and then you know they start having conversations with hiring managers and then realize they can double the wage yeah it's gonna say the best people usually come that way and then like you just said they see the salary and they're like this is a bit of a no-brainer yeah exactly they don't it's that's the thing because you don't realize how how do you know what's out there if if you don't know it's there that makes sense until you speak to someone and they actually say look you know you can do this you've done this project Mm-hmm. why don't you give it a go you know and that's I think that's where potentially a lot of downfall is the amount of people that could be going into consulting that aren't because they just don't know about it they don't know it's yeah. a whole option for them with their experience completely agree and I think it, that business experience though is so critical of getting the right you know whilst I say getting grads in is great they don't have necessarily the business experience and I think if you can get some yeah. of those guys in as well that kind of walk the walk um yeah. it makes them so credible exactly I mean, do you work with any vendors on sort of upskilling? So, you you know, for instance, you'll go into somebody that's in industry and then a vendor will sponsor them to go into a position with training. Do you do any of that? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's difficult because there always has to be some sort of element of the experience being there. I think you'd be looking at more graduate positions. I know a couple of partners do graduate schemes where they might take someone from uni and train them up. Um, but it's more difficult on my side when I'm placing specialists because they have to have had already some credible experience to get into that role. Um, there is always an element of training there, absolutely. You know, I do always sell those roles on that, that people might be a bit nervous and they might think, I, I don't know this, this and this. You can't know everything. There's always going to be an element of training, especially when you are, you know, going to a partner, for example. They will teach you how to be a consultant and they'll teach yeah. you different areas you might not have worked on, but there is always kind of, got to be some element of having the experience initially to get onto that kind of ladder yeah it's almost that's you kind of got to teach yourself a little bit before you can step up yeah definitely yeah which is kind of true of every role really isn't it yeah. like, well depending on if you want to push yourself or not obviously that's mm. a different different debate um but yeah so can you give us then some some of your best tips for nailing that that interview or that interview prep Yeah, I'd just say research into a company is always a key one. Obviously, figure out what kind of industry they're in, if that's something you would be interested in working in. What can the company offer you that is going to help you achieve your career goals? Obviously, from an IFS perspective, are they going to be able to offer you um, to work on a newer version or are there any projects coming up that you can upskill yourself in? Um, These are the kind of things you need to be asking, really, to kind of figure out, you know, if it is the right move for you. So. yeah, and just obviously, you know, speaking in depth about your experience, about any projects you've done, yeah. um, those kind of things. What keywords or items should be on a CV for someone in the ELP sector so that you can find them, I guess, more easily? Yeah, I mean, I guess the big one for me would be IFS. Um, some people will speak about ERP. Yeah, it sounds stupid, but it is really key. I mean, I will search IFS as a keyword. Um, A lot of people will just type for an ERP system and then they'll speak about what they've done, but I don't know that that's IFS. So for me, definitely specific ERP system to, you know, so then you're reaching, you're going to reach to the kind of a bit of a wider market with specialists. Um, Any technical work that you've done, so SQL or PLSQL or, you know, any lobbies or anything like that. Um, Modules as well within you know which the system what modules have you done you worked with break them down as you know as much information as possible but again key just not to waffle about things that are maybe irrelevant obviously you want to pad your cv out a little bit with other things and things that you've done off from an operational background but definitely 
projects that you've done, speak about them as much as you can. What was your key involvement? What did you learn from them? What was your input? What was you know the outcome for the business? Would you keep it short? Because I remember the age-old rule of just two pieces of paper. Uh, yeah, that's fine. So. I think that is an absolute myth. Um, I certainly don't ever really receive any CVs that are two pages um, or less. You get the odd one, but sometimes you then have to go back to the candidate and say, can you just pad it out a little bit? Because really? you know, I've spoke to you. Yeah, I've spoke to you, and I know you can do this, this, and this, and you've not mentioned it on your CV. So I think, you know, keeping it to... <sighs> three pages absolute maximum some people come out with five pages but you know it's that to me is too long like as a hiring manager I'd be going geez like, like it just feels five pages I'd be like I'm just I would switch off halfway through I guess what should people avoid other than five pages is there any kind of like big no-nos um I think every CV is different and it's got to be personalized to yourself I think nobody and I certainly don't ever look at CV and go oh you know, I don't know why they've said that. I'm going to throw it away kind of thing. I mean, to be fair, actually, I did receive a CV once and it had a poem at the top of it, which was very random. Um, so maybe random things like that. specific so, to you? <laughs> it didn't make any sense, to be honest. I had no idea what it was. We all had a bit, we had a bit of a laugh about it. But um, yeah, I think just, you know, straight to the point, a little bit about yourself, what you're looking for, what your experience is, you know, how long you've been at your current company and that's that's pretty much it really mm. just short and sweet you know not too much waffle but a decent I agree like having a personality in it I think for me like, again as a hiring manager I always assume that by the time it gets to me anyway the kind of technical like can they do the job has been kind of filtered through yeah. I what I'm looking for is more what kind of person are you like are you going to fit in the team what kind of culture yeah because that that's Definitely. a massive thing yeah it's something that I think you can't really put down on paper as well. I think that's very really important. I agree. It's hard, but it's like that statement at the top. I think it's quite, it just kind of pull out and you see all the same generic stuff. You know, I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, okay, we all are. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's making it your own. Yeah. What about those moments where you need to then step up? So you're going from sort of a sales manager to a director, like, how long should you be in a role before you try and make that transition up? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any set time, really, for being in a certain role. You know, you can't put a number on, well, you've only been here for this long, so you need to do minimum of five years to do this. I think looking at it in that way is very restrictive. I always say, you know, if you've got some experience that you can you know back yourself up with that can do the role, then absolutely go for it. And I think a lot of the time it's just having the confidence because you won't realise that you've got a lot of other skills from different areas that a hiring manager might see in you and go, actually, you know, we can get you involved in this and you can do this. But I think putting a, uh, like a, a, an amount of time on it where you have to be in a role is, is, is quite restrictive. Um, I think it's more having the confidence to go for these things, really, and putting yourself out there, getting involved with things that you, you can do in, in businesses to upskill yourself. And I guess that leads on to my next question as women. How do we break the glass ceiling? How do we get those very senior roles? What are your thoughts on that? I think again, it's it's going back to the confidence around it, and you know, not feeling like you don't belong there, or having imposter syndrome or anything like that. I know that's massive. I think a lot of women might feel like that it's a man's job, and oh, I'll, I'll leave it to a man to do, and you know, it's it's kind of like it's not really where they belong. But I think massively, it goes back to the confidence of just putting yourself out there and just 
just doing it but it does fall a lot on employees as well to support women to do that and you know helping them get to that position in the business and not having restrictions yeah so in terms of lessons for success then what's the best way that a person can discover their next role would would it be going on LinkedIn or where do you find that you advertise roles the most yeah so we obviously advertise our roles on LinkedIn um on our website as well but I think you find a lot of the time, I mean, I know I work with a lot of clients who will bring roles directly to me. They don't advertise them anywhere. So I will then go to my candidates and speak to them about roles. So I think it's it's being involved with somebody in the market that is engaging with the clients, you know, and you might see 10 roles on LinkedIn that you've, you're interested in, but there also might be another three that you don't know about because they're not advertised. And yeah, I've, I've had that. Yeah. yeah, I've had that a lot of times where a lot of clients, if you know, if they're going to work with me, they can't be bothered to put it out themselves. And I guess some companies have to do it, you know, from a HR perspective. But I've had it a few times where they'll just, you know, kind of send me a job set, say, look, this is what we're looking for. Can you can you bring us somebody? And then they don't touch it again until I do the process for them. So I think it is being involved with, you know, a recruiter that can understand the market, help you out, and obviously put you in contact with people that you probably wouldn't know about otherwise. Great. Thank you for joining us, Emily. Thanks, Thanks Emily. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thanks very much, Emily. Bye. 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 Bye.